This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Pete Payne, pastor at Grace Church. James Bain used a cell phone for the first time Thursday, calling his elderly mother to tell her that he had been freed after 35 years behind bars for a crime he did not commit. Mobile devices didn't exist in 1974, the year he was sentenced to life in prison for kidnapping and abusing a nine-year-old boy. As Bain walked out of the Polk County Courthouse Thursday wearing a black T-shirt that said, Not Guilty, he spoke of his deep faith and says, and said, He does not harbor any angry. No, I'm not angry, he said, because I've got God. Bain was convicted largely on the strength of the victim's eyewitness identification, though testing available at the time did not definitively link him to the crime. The boy said his attacker had bushy sideburns and a mustache. The boy's uncle, a former assistant principal at a high school, said it sounded like Bain, a former student. The boy picked Bain out of a photo lineup, although there are lingering questions about whether detectives steered him. The jury rejected Bain's story that he was at home watching TV with his twin sister when the crime was committed, an alibi she repeated at a news conference last week. He was 19 when he was sentenced. Note in the story, there were two eyewitnesses, the victim and the sister of the accused, Contradictory eyewitness testimonies. One was believed, one was disbelieved. Now I want you to listen to another story where all of the eyewitnesses have different perspectives. They're looking at it from different angles. They've got different thoughts as they bring it to bear. And yet at the end of this story, every one of their testimonies comes to the same conclusion, the same truthful conclusion. So let's read I'm going to summarize a little bit the last couple of sections in John chapter 20. You remember Mary, uh, when she stood outside the tomb after Jesus had been raised from the dead, she came to the tomb and she couldn't find Jesus there. She was distraught. She thought it was the gardener who was speaking to her. She turned and realized it was the Lord. He told her, go back and tell my brothers that I'm risen, that I'm going to go to their father and my father, to their God and my God and She went back and she gave that story. She had eyewitness testimony. I have seen the Lord. That was her testimony. Then, last week we heard this message beginning on 19. That same day in the evening, the disciples are gathered. On the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side where the spear had gone in. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me. Even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And now we come to today's text, and we'll see there's a second eyewitness testimony here. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. Eyewitness testimony. 
Thomas said to them, unless I see, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my fingers into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, now this would have been the next Sunday, the way that they counted time, they counted the first day as the day that they were on. So eight days later, the second Sunday after the resurrection, His disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them this time. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you, the same greeting as before. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John wants to show us that the Holy Spirit uses the words of those who have seen Jesus, the eyewitnesses. He uses the word of the eyewitnesses to produce a living testimony in those of us who have not seen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this wonderful story. Lord, all of these stories are wonderful. We know it. We know it because of your spirit who's brought them to life for us. And so I ask you, Holy Spirit, to come to be active and present with us. As as Jesus said, he would not leave us as orphans, but instead he would send the comforter. So comforter, please come. Comfort each heart that's here. Pray that you would speak your word to each heart and that each one would respond. Lord, thank you for your power Thank you for your ability to do this. Thank you for your great passion for people to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and to have life in your name. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So what just happened? Mary saw the Lord. She came and testified, I've seen the Lord. They were gathered that night. In the room, having heard Mary's testimony, they're gathered in fear, fear of the Jews, Scripture tells us. Jesus comes, somehow appears before them, even though the door is locked. We don't know exactly what happened, but he's there. He says, peace be with you. He commissions them, as we heard last week. They now have an eyewitness testimony. So, just so happened that Thomas, old doubting Thomas, was not among them. That particular night. But a week later, sometime between the two Sundays, they told Thomas, testimony number two, eyewitness testimony, we have seen the Lord. Thomas says, unless I see him, and not only that, unless I can touch him myself, I will never believe. So then Jesus comes, meets Thomas right at his point of need, knew exactly what he had said. Here's, go ahead, touch my hands. Touch my side, Thomas. Don't disbelieve. Believe. My Lord and my God. He testifies. He would say, now I've seen the Lord as well. Jesus says, because you've seen me, 
Thomas, do you believe? Blessed are those who have never seen and yet have believed. Now, why did God include this story? Here we've, we've studied this for a year. Craig has pointed out numerous times how nothing happened. Everything was so carefully controlled by God. Down, down to the crucifixion itself, every detail of this book has been put in place. Every, every story that he selected, he just said, I'm not gonna, I haven't written everything down here, but he chose specific things. So why this story? Why after the resurrection appearance, upper room, peace to you, he breathes on them, all the things that are happening, why not just end it with the next story? Why this story? I want to submit that Thomas was not there. Why did Jesus choose to come when Thomas was not there? Why didn't he wait until they were all together? I believe one of the reasons for it is that there would be a link between those who have seen the eyewitnesses and the ones that Thomas represents here in this story, the ones who have not seen. That's us. Jesus puts this story in to elevate our view of Scripture, the Word of God, what these disciples were going to do. I write these things, John said, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I write these things as an eyewitness so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that you may have life in his name. Thomas becomes the first of those who had not seen, just like us. And he hears this, Thomas, have you believed because you've seen? Yes, Lord, they're coming those after you who will never get to see me, but they're going to believe. Blessed are they. So it's that link that's so important, I think, why this story is here. We're going to look at three things in verse 31 that kind of summarize, I think, the purpose of this passage. The first one is this, the written testimony of the eyewitnesses. I have written. These things I have written. So we're going to look at the the doctrine of Scripture, the Word of God. The second thing we're going to look at is the gift of faith, so that you may believe. I've written these things so that you may believe. And the third thing is this issue of life, because he links the two with the word and. There are many who have believed in Jesus, as we've read through the Gospel of John, but there's something being added here. I write these things to you so that you may believe and have life in his name. The Holy Spirit will use the written testimony of the eyewitnesses to produce a living testimony in those of us who have not seen. So let's look at the first one. The written testimony of the eyewitnesses. I have written. These things are written so that you may believe. Deuteronomy, back in Deuteronomy, when Moses was completing his work, right before the Lord took him away and hid him and buried him, and we don't know where he is, God does, Moses said this to the children of Israel. In Deuteronomy 32, this won't be on the screen, so just listen carefully. Take to heart all the words which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, and they may be careful to do all the words of this law. For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. By this word, you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. So Moses knew these words that he was speaking were their life. He had an awareness, I'm speaking 
the words of God. I'm speaking as a prophet. These things, he didn't, I don't know whether he knew they would be passed down. I don't know what he knew, but he knew these words are more than just my words. These are your life. Pay attention. This is the word of God. Jesus, many years later, being tempted in the wilderness by the devil, is tempted in this way, if you are the son of God. What are these things written for? That we might know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And Satan comes, if you are the Son of God, command that stone to be turned into bread. You've been, you're so hungry. You've been fasting for 40 days. If you're the Son of God, certainly you can do some small thing like that. And Jesus said what? It is written. The Son of God goes right back to the Word of God. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. See how he's elevating this issue, this doctrine of the word of God. Critical. Wayne Grudem writes this. We don't have time to expound everything about the doctrine of Scripture, and the doctrine of the word, and how we have the Bible that we have. But Wayne Grudem in Systematic Theology, I would highly recommend, if you've never studied this, that you study it. You need to be assured. You need to be confident that as you read these words, there's life in them. These are the words of God. Listen to what he says. Jesus promised this power to his disciples in John 14, 26. When the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, comes, he will teach you all things, speaking to the disciples, and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Similarly, Jesus promised further revelation of truth from the Holy Spirit when he told his disciples, when the Spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. John 16. In these verses, the disciples are promised amazing gifts to enable them to write scripture. The Holy Spirit would teach them all things, would cause them to remember all that Jesus had said, and would guide them into all the truth. Remember back in John when he's, he's gathered with them there, he's telling them, don't be afraid. Let me comfort you. Peace be with you. I'm going away, but I'm going to send the comforter. This, this was part of what he said to this group that, that is, that we're talking about right here in this room with Thomas. The Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to remind you everything I said. He's going to bring to mind. He's going to show you other things that I've not even said yet. And you're going to write them down. And it's the word of God. Listen to just a couple things. This is throughout the scripture. There's a consistent theme of this writing down of God's words that is so important to us. And back in John 1, we're just going to look at a few scriptures here. So be patient. They should be up on the screen here. John 1.14, the word became flesh, John wrote, and he dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. I'm an eyewitness. Pay attention. As of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Flip over in your Bible, and we'll put this one on the screen. First John, John's epistle. He starts it out this way. Listen to how intently he wants you to know he was there. He's an eyewitness. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we have looked upon, and we have touched the nail marks. We've touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it 
We testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things that our joy may be complete. Like Moses before him, he knew that God had given him a call and a gift and had sent him to do this task. Peter, another of the witnesses, unlike the witnesses in the story we read that with conflicting stories, all of these themes come together. Here's Peter in Second Peter. He writes this. We didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses. We saw him. Of his majesty, when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. That's speaking of the transfiguration, when Moses and Elijah and Jesus all of a sudden were appearing in this glowing white. He was with them. I saw that. Listen to me. I was there. And then he goes on to say this, And we have the prophetic word made more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He knew what was happening. I write these things that you may know, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Another witness, James, the brother, the half-brother of Jesus, in his epistle writes this, Therefore, put away all of you all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is what? able to save your souls. We write these things that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in his name. Paul, another witness who did, who wasn't with this group, but had his own experience where the Lord appeared to him and took him actually to heaven, or to the third heaven we hear. He had his own experience as an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. As an apostle, he writes to Timothy, In 2 Timothy 3, As for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with what? The sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And then Wayne Grudem continues... The preservation and correct assembling of the canon of Scripture should be ultimately seen by believers then, not as a part of church history subsequent to God's central act of redemption for his people, but as an integral part of the history of redemption itself. Very important. Just as God was at work in creation, 
in the calling of his people Israel, in the gospel, in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, and in the early work and writings of the apostles, so God was at work in the preservation and assembling together of the books of Scripture for the benefit of his people for the entire church age. Ultimately, then, we base our confidence in the correctness of our present canon of this book on the faithfulness of God. As we read Scripture, the Holy Spirit works to convince us that the books we have in Scripture are all from God and are His words to us. It has been the testimony of Christians throughout the ages that as they read the books of the Bible, the words of Scripture speak to their hearts as no other books do. Day after day, year after year, Christians find that the words of the Bible are indeed the words of God speaking to them with an authority, a power, and a persuasiveness that no other writings possess. Truly, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This book was written by numerous authors over a 1,500-plus year period of time, all of them living in different lands. There were kings, there were shepherds, there were ex-Pharisees, there were fishermen that wrote this book. They wrote these things so that we who never saw him might believe that Jesus is the Christ. One unifying message to the entire testimony. The jury would have no other place to go but to realize Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Believe it and have life in his name. So the Holy Spirit uses the written testimony of those who have seen of these eyewitnesses to produce a living testimony in us. So the second thing we want to look at is just this gift of faith. The word believe. I write these things so that you may believe. We have the doctrine of Scripture, the written word of God, and it has this effect, so that you may believe. I write these things so that you may believe. What does he mean by believe? In the Bible, the the word believes, believe, just derivatives of the word believe are used 248 times. More than a third of those uses are in the book of John. This has been a major theme in John's accounting of the gospel. From the very beginning of the book, he's wanted people to believe. He looks at this. He looks at Nicodemus coming, who clearly wants to believe, but he's confused. And and Jesus says to him, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. He appeared to the woman at the well who came to believe. Is this the Christ? Could this be? Goes and tells her town. Not I've seen the Lord, but could this be the Messiah? They come and they say, we don't believe anymore because what you said. We believe because we've seen it ourselves. They were eyewitnesses too. We keep moving through. We come to this story then next to contrast of the man who was healed by the sheep gate. And instead of receiving his healing from Jesus and then going with Jesus, he sides and goes to the Pharisees. And we begin to see this conflict that John wants us to understand in Thomas' words, in Jesus' words back to Thomas, I'll never believe unless I see. Thomas, don't disbelieve. Believe. And throughout the rest of the book of John, he's putting this this conflict in, in play. People are starting to believe. They believe because he feeds them bread. And then a few minutes later, when he says, unless you eat my flesh... 
and drink my blood, you can have no part of me, then they all start moving away. They believe and they disbelieve. They want to follow and they don't want to follow. And increasingly there are those who now, not only do they no longer search for Jesus, they're seeking to put him to death. And finally at the end of his ministry, of his, of his public ministry, in John chapter 12, we read this in verse 36. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and he hid himself from them, though he had done so many signs before them. Now listen to that carefully. Though they were eyewitnesses of his power, of his miracles, of his spoken word, they still didn't believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he's blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, now listen, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees. Why are the disciples in the upper room, in the room right now, behind locked doors? For fear of the Jews. For fear of the Pharisees, they didn't confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And we'll end that quote right there. From this point forward, Jesus takes his disciples away, and we have in chapters 13 through 16, and then into 17 when he prays, we have this very private discourse that he has with them where he taught, he washes their feet, and he tells them, I'm going away, and I give you a new commandment, love one another as I've loved you, never spoken, never seen before is this commandment. He said, peace I live, leave with you. So I want you to have peace, not the peace as the world gives, but my peace. I want you to trust in me. And then he promises them, most amazingly, this gift of the Holy Spirit. It's it's to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go, the Holy Spirit's not going to come. And here comes this crisis point in John, whereas he's focused on this issue of believe, disbelieve. I say I believe. Martha says, you're the, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And five minutes later, she's saying, don't roll the stone away, God, because it's going to stink in there. There's just back and forth. It's so difficult to believe because circumstances overwhelm us. And people, the fear of people overwhelms us. And fear of death overwhelms us. It's so difficult to believe. But these things are written so that we might believe. So what do we do? He brings us to this crisis point and he adds this little word, and. See, Thomas was no different than the other disciples. They didn't believe Mary either, did they? Until Jesus came to be with them. And how many of all the crowds had seen him and said, we believe and then fallen away? How many of these disciples, just like Thomas, would have said, Mary, until, until I see him myself, until I'm an eyewitness, I, I can't believe this. It's impossible. It doesn't make sense. But Jesus says, here you go. See me? See the nail holes? See the spear? But go ahead, touch it. I have a, I have a call for you men. You've got to write Scripture. 
Remember what I talked to you about a little while ago? The Holy Spirit's going to come and bring these things to your remembrance and teach you all these things. He's going to take what is mine and give it to you. And John, guess what? You're going to write these words. I write these things to you that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and in believing that you'll have life in his name. So what's the difference? What's the difference between those who saw all of his miracles, who were eyewitnesses, and yet, and said they believed, and yet, when the time came, the difficult times, they fell away? What's the difference between them and this group, who's still cowering in fear in the room for fear of the Jews, and, and them and us? What is it that brings us to the third point here? Not just believing, but also, I write these things to you that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in believing, have life, life in his name. This overflowing life, what he had spoken of in John chapter 7 at the feast. Anyone who believes in me out of his innermost being, rivers of living water shall come. And it says there in that passage, he spoke this of the Spirit who he was to pour out on all believers. And it's the Holy Spirit who comes. The difference between the disciples in the upper room saying, prove it, I want to believe, I'm leaning forward, I would love to believe, but I can't believe until I see. And what happened a few days, a few weeks later, when they're boldly proclaiming Jesus at the threat of their life in Jerusalem, is that the Holy Spirit came. He's the one that brings this word which apart from his work would be letters on a page. For many people in the world, they've read this. They might have even said, yeah, that sounds plausible, possible. Could it be? And yet the Holy Spirit has not breathed life into these words. It's not become a two-edged sword in their heart, dividing truth from error, causing them to say, he is not just a good man, not just somebody who provides bread, not just somebody who can heal the sick and cast out demons and perform many miracles. He is Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. That's what I believe. So we see, again, just a few weeks later after Pentecost, these 10 and then 11 who are gathered in this room in fear are out boldly proclaiming Pentecost comes, the Holy Spirit falls on them, and they are out proclaiming the name of Jesus. They don't care whether they live or die. They are changed. What's happened? They've become a living testimony to God. It's not just about their words anymore. It's their life. Their heart has been transformed. They've been changed by the power of God. And what, what, what's the testimony then? They're called before the Sanhedrin that says in Scripture and Acts, the Sanhedrin was annoyed with them that they kept talking about Jesus. And instead of cowering behind doors, now they're saying, is it right for us to obey men or obey you? What happened? They believed and they had life in his name. The Spirit had breathed life into the very words that Jesus had spoken. And the same Spirit is available to us today. The same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead uses the testimony of those eyewitnesses who themselves needed the Holy Spirit to transform them, to change us, and to make us living testimonies to the glory of God. Our call, our mission, 
is the same as theirs. Now, the way it's going to work itself out, I guarantee not one person in this room is going to ever write one word of Scripture. They had their call. Not one of you in this room is ever going to die for the sins of the earth. That was Jesus. Jesus, the sent one, was sent. He had a specific thing to do in fulfilling the Father's overall mission. Those 11 had specific things to do, including writing Scripture, in order to fill their call. He sent them to do that and to be living testimonies. He sends us through the power of this Word when it's breathed into, when it's inspired by the Holy Spirit to be not writers of Scripture, but living testimonies to the power of God. Paul, listen to what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I think this is our testimony. You, writing to the Corinthians, who were a mess of a church, which you were not a mess of a church, they were a mess of a church, you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. That's our call. We get to be a living testimony. There's a sign over in Frisco Square that Kevin Kress put up over there for us. It's on the land where one day, by the grace of God, soon, very soon, we're going to build a building over there. And that church, which is you, is going to be housed in that building. And much ministry is going to go forth and come into that building. But on that sign, I love it. The guy that did our our graphic work for us put this little phrase, look inside. Go over there and see it. That's exactly what, what John's saying here. I write these things to you, people in Frisco, Texas, in 2011, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, this one that I've seen, that I've touched, that I've handled, I proclaim him to you because I want you to have fellowship with us by the power of the Spirit, with the Father and with his Son. Look inside. Come and see. Come and see husbands and wives who believe that this is true. And they say to themselves, you know what, I'm called to love my wife as Christ loves the church, sacrificially laying my life down for her, whether she think she wants that or not, I'm going to do it because it says so. Because the power of the word of God, this has been written so that I might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that he means what he says. And if I'm a wife, I'm saying, I read in this and I say, I'm going to, I'm going to love my husband. I'm going to honor my husband. I'm going to submit to my husband in the biblical understanding of what that means. Not because... It's an empty phrase, but because the power of God gives me the ability to do that. And we want to be a living testimony. We want, when we say, people, come look inside, we want them to see Jesus in our marriages. We want them to see the gospel in our marriages. We want them to see the gospel because kids obey their parents and love to honor their parents. That does, that's not natural. Doesn't happen, especially in our culture. Doesn't happen. The only way that's going to happen is by the same power that brought those men out of that room and turned them into dynamite. They were a living testimony. We're sent to be a living testimony. It comes as we read this, as we cry out for faith, increase our faith, give us more. Lord, change us. Or when people hear the words of God and say, by this, 
all men will know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. And they see community groups helping when people are sick, caring for people. They see people saying, you know what? I'm going to count others as more important than myself. They see teens who, instead of trying to be the most important person on the planet, which is what the world tells them, believe in yourself. Thank you, Walt Disney and all the others that have followed in that. Jesus says, if you would gain your life, lose it. Do what I did. Count others as I did. It's more important than yourself. And when they see teens doing that, and we say, look inside. That's a living testimony written, not on tablets, not on pages, but on the hearts of his people. When they see people struggling, and yet they walk through it remembering, in this world you'll have trouble. It's true. But don't despair. Don't fear. I've overcome the world. And they see us gathering together. And they see people who look across the room and say, there's not a person in this room that I would not gladly die for. That's what the Spirit of God wants to do. In our midst. Powerful. And write these things. So that you who never saw Him, never touched Him, might believe that He is Messiah, Son of God, Savior, and that believing you have life flowing out of your innermost being. And the world will see and they'll go, I, I want that. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Thank you.